Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 466. A special Yom Tov edition. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkis, Hishayin Rabba, Shmini Atzeres, Simchas Teda. This program is in loving memory of Miriam Basel Yohu, Altes Aleha Sholem, upon her passing on the 11th of Menachemov. It is also in Schus Merit of Borg bin Yomen ben Menucha Lana, Altais, Yukasil ben Leir Rochel, and Rochel bas Liba Farkash. It's dedicated by Pinchas Todres ben Miriam and Sarah bas Rochel Altais. So we're now entering into the rich holiday season. The word rich is actually from the Medrash when it talks about Chedesh Hashvi, the seventh month which is the way this month is described in the written Torah. So Shvi also means, the Medrash says, Muzba Bakoil, from the word Muzba, sated, satiated, filled, saturated with everything. So you have to, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the days between Asar the four days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, and Sukkot, and Shashanah a rich, rich season that provides us with all the resources we need for the entire year. So this, this special edition will be focusing on that, especially considering that all the Yom Tevim this year are all Sunday nights. So the progress program will be preempted by the holidays themselves. Nothing better than that. So this will be the last program until after Tishrei, after Simchas Tevim when we shall return. So we have to cover the whole entire rich month, but it is a rich month. And that's one of the reasons this month is called Tishrei. Tishrei is also the letters Reishis. Reishis, the head, like we say, Bereishis. Like Shabbos Bereishis, which is the conclusion of the month of Tishrei. And like Rosh Hashanah, Reish, the head. As Chisidus explains, why is it called the head, not the beginning? Tchilas Hashanah. Because a head is more than just a beginning. Yes, the head is the top of the body, but it's the beginning of the body. But more than that is the central nervous system, is the reish that encompasses everything in the entire body is controlled by the head and is included in it. So in Reish Hashanah, the entire year is included, just like in, the, in Mokim, in the body. The same thing in Shana and Nefesh. There's also the idea of, in time, the Reish Hashanah. It's the head of the year, central nervous system. And the entire month of Tishrei, month of Tishrei, is in general Tishrei Reishis. So as the Maimorim explained, that in it, every day of this month, and especially the holidays, encompass all the powers for the entire year. So it's not just another day of the month. This month is a central month. And that's why how we use this month actually is going to, can affect every aspect of your life, just like when a person because their mind's in the right place, their head is in the right place, it will control the, the entire body, the entire being. And here the body is the entire year. So with that in mind, and you think about it from a chassidus applied perspective, essentially the point is that we have here tremendous resources. That's how we have to see it. An opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, in the words of the Alter Rebbe, but he says about Rosh Hashanah that a new unprecedented energy and light enters into existence that never existed before. 
meant to give us new possibilities, new opportunities, new blessings, new chances. So one of the big challenges in life is how do I get stuck? How do I get myself unstuck from the rut? My routines, my boredom, my monotony, the trappings that we're all sometimes controlled by. It's hard to get out of it. Comes a new year and tells us there's new energy. There's new opportunity. You're not a product of the past. You're not a victim of circumstances. So as we march in this week into the days of Rosh Hashanah, this coming Friday night will be the first night of Rosh Hashanah, we know that, and when we prepare for that, and the whole month of El was a preparation, but especially as the last days, the last week before Rosh Hashanah, we prepare for that, that's getting yourself into a place to clean the slate. One of the ideas of tshuva is this, is cleaning up your act. Tshuva means to return, to return back to your pure place so you can receive this new energy. So when we enter that, the new year, with that attitude, it opens up the door. And if you enter with your past haunting you, weighing you down, trapping you, it's very difficult to hear and receive new blessings. It happens anyway, but the more we prepare, the more conducive, the more likely, the more the channels are open, the more likely things will flow through those channels. So just a general introduction to this month of Tishrei. We're going to go through, we're going to go through each of the Yom Tevim with questions that were asked, first describing the general gist of that Yom Tev and what its power is and what its message is and what its uh, lessons to us, and then addressing some details that either you've asked or that are worthwhile addressing. Of course, being that we're already now in the 11th year of um, My Life Chassidus Applied, I've talked about many of the topics in previous years, you can always check it out at chassidusapplied.com. There's plenty of material to, to review that has been gathered there. You can also see it our archived at chassidusapplied.com where you can also submit any question anonymously, completely anonymously. Nothing's taboo, nothing's off limits. Anything you'd like to discuss, we can discuss. So please submit it there as well as other resources that you can find at chassidusapplied.com. So, Rosh Hashanah, we began by discussing the concept of renewal. The Eich Chodesh HaMachudesh, in the words of the Arizal, that the entire world goes into a type of comatose state before Rosh Hashanah, anticipating its renewal, the renewed contract in the new year. So Rosh Hashanah, life doesn't just go on, it's a renewed contract. It's just like when you have an expiration date of an agreement. The agreement here, the partnership is between God and us. God created the world. He created on the 25th of El. Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of the human being's birth, creation, sixth day of creation. And every year, that's the creation. So it's our birthday. It's our collective birthday. And as such, what's, our, what's the day of a birthday? A day of accountability. Who are you? Why are you here? Are you living up to your calling, to your mission? Ayeka, as Hashem said to Adam after he sinned, and ate from the tree of knowledge. Where are you? Where do you stand? I don't recognize you. Have you betrayed yourself? These are universal questions and timeless questions that we have to ask ourselves on Rosh Hashanah. Who am I? My calling. What do I stand for? That's what happened on Rosh Hashanah. And it's not just a question. We're also given the power. It's a power of renewal. I want to renew my contract with you, God says. So tell me where you stand. And I shall reciprocate. So Rosh Hashanah is considered the day, Yem Adin, 
But people misunderstand what din means. They think judgment means sitting and trembling. When, how much are we going to be punished? And what do we do to avoid the punishment or to mitigate the punishment in some way? How do we make a deal with God? No, no, no. It's the opposite. It's a vote of confidence. When you evaluate your business at the end of the year, you want to see all the pros and cons, everything that went happened, for good or for not good, so you can improve it and make your business even better. That's what we are. This is a vote of confidence in us. I believe in you, God says. And that's why you're accountable. Who do you not ask to be accountable? People who are incapable of being accountable for whatever reason, God forbid, or not mature enough. But someone that is a serious person that you take seriously, accountability is a great sign. It's the greatest voice of, and, vo- and vote of confidence and dignity to a person that I believe in you. And now... Tell me what you, what you have accomplished and what are you going to accomplish. So Rosh Hashanah is that wake-up call and indeed that's why we sound Shefer. This year Rosh Hashanah replaces Shefer on the first day. We'll discuss that. But on the second day we do sound Shefer and even Shabbos, it's not the sounding of the Shefer but the same spiritual message. A wake-up call to the depths of our heart and soul. We're going back to our origins, who you are at your core, which is essentially what a birthday is. We go back to our origins. Many things have happened. Many beautiful things. And sometimes some negative things. Setbacks. Failures. Misdemeanors. Transgressions. Everyone knows in their heart. And we stand accountable. But above all, who are you in your essence? You are a divine force sent to this world. A divine Shana. Created with Selim Alekim on the first Rosh Hashanah in the divine image, placed inside of a body, your job is to transform your body, transform your physical world, your corner of the world, into a divine home, into a Gan Eden, into a garden. Where do you stand in that regard? That's the Rosh Hashanah question. And all the details of Rosh Hashanah, the prayers, the customs, the meals, everything is around that core message. Okay, so that's Rosh Hashanah. But let's talk some more details about Rosh Hashanah. And then we'll go from Rosh Hashanah into Aser Simei and then Yom Kippur, and so on. Sukkis, etc. So someone asked the question, why is there no holiday or special observance for the 25th of El, the day the world was created? As I mentioned earlier. Since we are taught that the purpose of creation is for Hashem to have a dwelling place in the physical world, shouldn't the 25th of El be a special day on the calendar because now there's a world that Hashem can be revealed in? Absolutely. But there's a few parts to creating a home for God. It doesn't happen by itself. It happens through an agent, a divine agent, the human being. The creation is not a composite of six fragmented days. It's one picture. Day one, Bereshit Baralakim Shemayim and created light. Day two, Rakia. Day three, vegetation. Day four, the luminaries in heaven. Day five, the animals, fish in the sea. And day six, more animals and the human being. Then we go into Shabbos. Rosh Hashanah is the sixth day. Zeha Yem Tchilis Masachach. So this explains. This is the beginning of creation, even though creation began six days earlier, because this is the purpose of creation. So God first sets the table, as the Mishnah says in Sanhedrin, and then brings a special guest. 
but we're not a separate entity. We are part of it. It's the culmination of building a home, but someone has to live in this home. Someone has to create the home, and someone has to maintain it. Who's going to maintain the garden that God created? To serve and protect. That's the human being. So when do we celebrate Rosh Hashanah? When you finished, you don't do, celebrate the first day when you put the first uh, foundation down or some elements in the home. When the home is finished and the special and the purpose of it all, the special guest arrives, the human being, Zohar Nekeva Bores and the male and female, that's when you celebrate Rosh Hashanah. So Rosh Hashanah is actually the celebration of Chafael. Chafael is the beginning of the process. Bishvil, Breshis, Bishvil, Breshis, Bishvil Yisrael, Bishvil Ateira, and that's when we honor and celebrate the very purpose of creation. There are those that keep a custom that some say, actually start saying from Parsha, beginning of Bereshis, Achafael, there are different customs. We definitely know about the day and we know about its significance. And it definitely, in retrospect, if you think of it going backwards from the day, once you do Rosh Hashanah, you understand that Chafael then is elevated through Rosh Hashanah. So that's the point which also tells us that the message Teda tells us is not just to commemorate events that happened. It commemorates the purpose of these events. It's not just we remember God created the world. He created for a purpose. Everything has to be translated into action. What's the call to action? The human being who brings this world together, who takes all parts of it and says, Let us all come and recognize our Creator. Everything that was shaped, every product should recognize the, the producer within it, the creator of it, the shaper of it, seeing the hand inside the glove, revealing the, how the material world is a home for the divine. Okay. Why do some people have the custom to visit cemeteries at Rosh Hashanah? Are they praying that the neshamas of these people that passed away should intervene on their behalf so that Hashem gives them a successful new year? Is it a good idea to do this or is it good enough if we just go to Shulam Rosh Hashanah and Davin to Hashem directly? So the custom is cited in many places. Obviously the Rebbe himself would go at Rosh Hashanah. Chassidim always went at Rosh Hashanah. If you can't make it at Rosh Hashanah or a day before. Children go to parents' grave sites. So on a very balbatisha basic level, it's the beginning of a year. And beginning of a year, it's like you, you want to have as much um, strength as you can. You go there to help so have those neshamas. Yeah, you're praying to God. But neshamas, especially of our parents and our rebbeim, help support and help intervene on our behalf. But it's always, you're always diving to Hashem. Let's make that very clear. A second point is also a level of accountability. And thank you. You say thank you to your parents, you say thank you to the Rebbe, to the Rabbeim, for what they've given us. And in general, when a person goes before Rosh Hashanah to Rebbe, gives him a pan, pidyon nefesh, the same idea. So here, even though it's true, it's after the passing of the Rebbe, but nevertheless, the pan is still given, and a pidyon nefesh, again, it's intervention. That tzaddik just has more access, but less layers, and just to help. It's like having someone intervene on your part to the king, but it's always to the king. So that's the key thing, and, and Rav Rosh Hashanah. Some go, for example, Rav Rosh Chedesh, the Rebbe would always go, as well as on the 15th of the month. So the idea is that, that when you go into a new year, new energy, and so on, you use every power. We know that Kolov went to the Moris HaMachpelah. 
We know the power of Shtatchus al Tzadikim, that is, I would go to Miran. Many of us do that pilgrimage to the Rajbi, the cave of Rajbi. <clears throat> but especially special times in the year. Another thing that's said is that you should, when people visit their grave sites of their parents, they should go at least once a year. So, in case the whole year person didn't go, Rosh Hashanah seems to be the right time as we prepare for the new year. Okay. It's another discussion, what is the, the meaning behind it all? But we have to understand that by us we call a cemetery a Beis HaChayim. It's because Tzadikim Gambe Misosam Kruim Chayim. The Amach Kolim Tzadikim. Tzadikim, even in their deaths, they're called alive. And the fact of the matter is the legacy and the neshama of our loved ones, especially of a Rebbe, lives on through us and in us. So it's not, you're not just going to a place of, God forbid, where people are buried. It's a Beis HaChayim. So just to add that point. And uh, it could be connected as well. We say Yisker on Yom Kippur. We say Yisker throughout the year on Yom Tevur. Some people say it quietly on Rosh Hashanah as well. But the point is, why Yom Kippur? Because again, it's the beginning of the year, the holiest day of the year. We connect to the Neshamas. That's the way that we strengthen our Neshama. Okay. Next question. If we can narrow it down to just one thing, what is that one single most important thing we need to do on Rosh Hashanah in order to be granted a successful new year filled with positive blessings and the kalim to contain and reveal them. The containers to contain and reveal them. A type of achashalti question. One thing if I ask. Lachzaz b'neim Hashem to gaze at the beauty at the, at the joy at the pleasure of God. Rosh Hashanah, if you talk halachically, mitzvah sayyem b'shefer. The mitzvah of the day is shefer. There are other mitzvahs we do, but it's called mitzvah sayyem. So if you talk about a single thing, but in Chazal, mitzvah sayyem b'shefer. Even when Shabbos, Rosh Hashanah, Shacholi is b'shabbos, we don't sound the shefer, but we still say the malchus zechreni shefer is the psukim. And we're mamshir the hamshalachas of shefer through Shabbos, as we shall discuss. So shefer would be the key thing. What is shefer? So we know there are 10 reasons that Absad Yugan gives. But above all, using the Rambam's words, a wake-up call. It's this primal sound of the neshama. The sounding of the shefer reaches the deepest parts of who we are to wake us up, to connect. Wake us up to what? To Ayeko, where are you? So if I were to spell it out in simple English, I say the one single thing is, today is the day that you were born. Collectively, but each individual, when your God renews his contract with you for the year, so you ask yourself, where do I stand? What have I done? What do I plan to do? So when you come to next month of El, next Rosh Hashanah, you can say, here's what I did. Here are the measurable results. And really do it in a way that's defined, with a cheshben and nefesh. That would be the one thing I would suggest. I'm sure you can come up with many things. A second thing I would say, I know I said one thing, but I'll say a second thing. Is the achlotus we do benodim lechaveri benodim lemokim? Says them some mamorim that the rabbeim would add something every year, a new hidr, a new custom, a new emphasis on something. So they would add something, add something in your life that you do between you and Hashem, daven a bit longer, benodim lechaveri, a little more tzedakah, a little more kindness, 
but something deliberate and specific, not in vague platitudes. Those are the two things I would say. I know it's two. They really go hand in hand. One is just asking yourself the accountability, where do you stand? And two is acting on it, taking on real resolutions. Okay. And we know Hashem responds, Mida connected Mida. Hashem responds, sometimes, even before you call out, Hashem responds. But the more keli you make, the more you get in return. The Alter Rebbe explains, you say, and you go with all your might, with all, with all of you. Even though it's not bleak vul mamash, no person can do something that's infinite, but it's beyond your usual finite parameters, beyond your comfort zone, then you mamshal the bleak vul amiti, a true bleak vul from above. So it all comes down to your extra effort, that extra touch. And I have to add, being that the Rebbe so emphasized that we're mamish on the threshold of Geula, that something that directly connected Geula. Talk about this, Chassidus applied. So there's the primizdika side of Rosh Hashanah. What are you going to do in that regard? Bring the Chassidus. Making it alive, the gewalt, the, 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 the awesomeness, the power, the, the sheer soulfulness of Chassidus to yourself and to those around you. I know if I keep going, I won't stop. So we'll pause here and let's move to the next question. Next question is this. What is the book of life? Sefer HaChaim. We talk about it in Rosh Hashanah. And how do we get inscribed, or the way this person put it, how do we buy a full-page ad in this book of life? Well, that's what we're talking about. The book of life means, it's not just a matter of life and death, God forbid. Book of life means life is more than just not being dead. Life means purpose. You're sent here. We say, You're sent here for a purpose. Your life, has, life is synonymous with purpose. Sefer HaChaim, when we're inscribed in the book of life, Rashan is saying, here's your renewed contract. I'm giving you another year. Another vote of confidence. Believing in you that you can achieve what you were sent to this world. So how do you get inscribed in it? By living up to that. By saying, why am I here? And what am I doing to live up to it? That's all Hashem needs. He needs to see that He chose right. That you're not squandering the time, the energy, the the resources given to you, God forbid, but rather you're using them. And the more you use them, the more the life is drawn inside you. Because it's a direct link. You're given life to fulfill a purpose. When Hashem asked Adam, it wasn't just asking, where are you? I'm giving you life. I gave you a purpose. What'd you do with it? It was meant to be a wake-up call. So that's the book of life. And that's how we buy a full-page ad in it. It's not with... With Zdok is great. You give Chaim to other people. You give life to others. God gives you life. But it's through your general effort of fulfilling the purpose of your life. So yes, to ask yourself the question, what is my mission? Not just the general mission to Adir B'Tachtenim. In your specific way, through your work, through your talents, through your skills, through your unique abilities. That's the challenge and that's the question you have to ask yourself. And Shadus Chacham Chetzin Tshuvi, you ask the right question, you're already halfway there. Okay. Why do we dip an apple in honey? 
So the basic reason we say Lashana Teva Masuka is sweet and good, a good and sweet year. So one of the reasons we have sweetness in the physical world is to give us an example, a taste, no pun intended, of spiritual sweetness. Or sweetness on all levels, material level, spiritual level, psychologically, emotionally. So it's not just a, a, uh, a nice symbolism. The reason there's honey in this world, the reason there are sweet things, physical sweet things in this world, is because it's the physical manifestation of spiritual sweetness. So when we dip an apple in honey, we understand we're revealing the godliness within the honey, within the apple. And we're drawing that mesikos, that masuka. As the Al-Rebbe's father explains, masuka, there's sweetness, direct sweetness, there's also a sweetness that comes sometimes from the bitter. Merida lemisko, from bitterness to sweet, that's even sweeter at times. That's the symbolism of it on a very basic level. But in more detail, somebody wrote the following. Is the reason we dip an apple in honey instead of other sweet substances such as sugar because there are lesson in the, there's a lesson in the bee itself? I'm talking about bee honey here. The bee has the capacity to pr- provide sweets or stinging poison. And since we have free will, we can also take the sweet path of mitzvahs or the stinging poison of Aveda sins. And it's a reminder at the beginning of the year to choose the sweet path. Yes, by all means. That's one of the explanations. And indeed, be honey, Dafkin. Not the sting, but the honey. It also teaches us that sometimes the same place that gives the sting also gives the honey if you know how to transform it. So even negative experiences in life that have stung us and some way hurt us can be transformed into beautiful experiences. All that is symbolized, is symbolized by honey. That's why it says Chassidus that honey is connected to Gvura, but Gvura is Mumotokes. The harshness or the judgments that are sweetened, and especially sweetened from within. Ayin Beis, Hemshech Ayin Beis from the Rebbe Rashab, Volume 3. The Rebbe cites it in a letter. But even before we had Volume 3 published for all of us, the Rebbe cites this, the three different levels of sweetening the harshness of the severities of Gvura. And ultimately, the greatest is sweetening it from within. From its shaders, shaders, shagvudas, gvudas, They're sweetened in their root. That's when you have like, zdenus, nasleik, azachis, that the very negative thing in itself becomes the healing and the power that gives you to become connected more, more connected to the divine and to God and to your purpose. Okay. Another question. Is it better to make good resolutions that are small but easily achievable or larger and more difficult ones? And more difficult ones that put you at risk for penalties if you don't fulfill them. Maybe I should resolve to do terrible harsh Avedis. God forbid, please don't say that. I'm, that's my comment. Such as eating Avram and Achai at the Kotel, at the Kotel on Yom Kippur. Not sure why you chose this uh, strange, but okay. But then, when I control myself and don't do it, Hashem will be happy and give me a good year. No, that's not the way it works. So first, let's answer the initial question, and I'll answer the secondary question. It's a very good question. 
Generally speaking, it says to fasta fasta. Ma'at ma'at Divide and conquer. Go step by step. You take a bite off more than you can chew, often it fails, and there are setbacks. So I would say, generally speaking, it's better to take on things that are meaningful, but small steps, and grow from them. And if it's going well, then take on more, and more, and more, and more. There are times, we know, like the Rambam writes, that in general it's best to take the middle road. But there are times that if a person, for example, has transgressed and gone too far to the right, so the only way to get back to the middle is they have to go to the left, like when we ride, we drive. You can't keep on going to the right, and you'll keep going off. So the only way is to go more extreme left until you get back to the center. But the goal is the center. And the same thing the other way. If a person's veered too much to the left, you have to go back to the right to get back to the center. So there are times where we may need to take upon something stronger, especially if we were, if we ha- if we were weak in a certain area. So you want to be more stringent in that area. But generally, it's always best step by step. As far as the second point that you're making about taking on things that have consequences, I mean, echtev v'oshev we know is a great sin. We don't sin in order to do tshuva. Or in your case, even not sinning, but even saying that, I'm, that I will take on, I will, do, I will resolve to do something really bad, and then when I refrain from doing it, God will... No, that's not what God wants. That's not what we should be doing. Do good. Refrain from things that you can control that you would be, may, may have a temptation for. You don't have to take on some type of new... You don't have to say, I'm going to do something terrible and then stop yourself. There's enough things that our Nefesh Abamis wants us to do that we can stop. And when you do, you're accomplishing tremendous things. And we don't measure this in quantity. It's in quality. It's the effort. Like he explains in Tanya chapter 15, it's Aveda means that you get out of your comfort zone. You do something that's not your regular routine, your regular habit. That's the key. A few more, and then we'll move on to the next section of Tishrei. How is it possible that Odom Arishan was created on a Friday, and that was the first Rosh Hashanah? If it says, Loyadu Reish, Adu means Alav Dal Vov. Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday means there can't be Rosh Hashanah. The Rosh Hashanah can't fall out on a Friday. And we find the first Rosh Hashanah, ironically, was on a Friday. So there are different reasons why Rosh Hashanah creates complications when you schedule on a Friday, and that's why when they designated the calendars and established it today, because it's all Peter Cheshbon of Hillel, that we don't have Rosh Hashanah ever on a Friday. At the time when they were they were sanctified the month based on Ediria, which means Apiaria, people saw, witnessed, it could have been on a Friday. But they've always avoided that, and there are many different reasons given for that. But it does create this uh, interesting, uh, interesting irony that the first Rosh Hashanah was on a Friday. So first of all, Rosh Hashanah is called Yema Richter. Both days are considered one. So though it can be Friday, it could be Thursday. Thursday, Friday, Shabbos. Next year, I believe it's going to be that way. So it's a Yem So you do have Friday Rosh Hashanah in that sense. But not the first day. So I have not seen an explanation. I've seen it mentioned. The Rebbe mentions it, especially I remember second day Rosh Hashanah, Fabreng and Tov Shebemalov, he mentioned it. And I think other times as well. I don't know if I saw an explanation, but if someone has one, please share it and I'll share it with the public. 
But what comes to mind when I think about it is perhaps, there are perhaps thoughts on the matter. That that first one was Friday, because remember, Adam Arishan was going right into Shabbos, and everything happened on that Friday. As a matter of fact, I think, um, um, not this one, but I remember once discussing this topic, that you had the Chetay Tzadas was on Friday, the Tshuva was on Friday, I mean, a lot of things, Ayeka was on Friday. So it could be the first time it was important to be a Friday going right into Shabbos, and Shabbos was the word tshuva, where Adam and Chavah did tshuva. And that gives power for all the other years. But the other years, that's not the focus, is on the Friday aspect of it. But it still doesn't explain why, why can it not be on Friday. You could say why it doesn't have to be on Friday. So that needs more looking into. If anybody, as I said, has anything on this, please, by all means. I'm sure someone speaks about it. But it's definitely an interesting question to address. And let's do it together. <clears throat> But, as we have this year, Rosh Hashanah could be on Shabbos, as it is Taka this year. And that's why we don't blow Shofar, which brings us to the next question. How spiritually does Shabbos accomplish what sounding the Shofar does? So we know, Yom Tov Shalom Shechol is B'Shabbos, we don't sound the Shofar. So Shavuz, the Gemara's reason is, Shema, because not everybody is Yaboki and Hilcha Shofar, so someone may carry the Shofar, which is not allowed on Shabbos. But of course, Chassidus asks the question, because of a shvus, a takonah de you're going to be mevatl a mitzvah, sesed da So therefore, Chassidus answers, there has to be a deeper aspect, that Shabbos accomplishes that which Shefer accomplishes. What does Shefer accomplish? It reaches into the primius. That's what Shabbos does. It reaches into the primius. Shabbos is mamshel, the same amshachem. So in general, when Taylor says you can't do something, it doesn't mean you can't do it. It means that whatever you're doing now can replace and it draws down exactly the same Amshach of that Shefer. In the Beis HaMikdash, they sounded Shefer also on Shabbos, because in the Beis HaMikdash, there's even a higher Amshach of Shefer, God, a higher level of Shefer. But Shefer is basically a piercing sound that reaches into the depths of the soul. That's what Shabbos does. Six days of the week, we're involved in Nefesh, Ruch, Neshama. And on Shabbos, there's the fourth prayer, Musaf, Chaya, a deeper level of Neshama. So we have that on Shabbos, but we say Malchus Echrenes Shefres. That's still Rosh Hashanah. And the Psukim are necessary even when we sound Shefres. We also say the Naim Psukim, meaning of Malchus Echrenes Shefres. <clears throat> and yet, on Shabbos, we do it only through the Tfilis. And since Dibur has power, Kimas Fosim Hava Maisa, when we move our lips when we pray, so on Shabbos, we mamshik it through the words of Teirah, the machiz echenes v'shefres. Or mamshik what we use, what, what is a nimshik, and the regular, the second day of Rosh Hashanah through Shefer itself. That's the brief answer. And the Maimorim, the Maimorim and Lukut, the Teirah, Yom Tov Shalashach, Shechalish B'Shabbos, and other places discuss it more at length. In Samach Vov, the whole Samach Vov begins with that Maimor. So there he talks about Malchus Zechshin and Shefer, the Shefer is being the highest level of Tainu Ga'atzmi. And Shabbos is Me'en, Yem Shekuli Shabbos, so Menucha Lechai Elamim, La'asad Lovei. So Shabbos is a taste of that Tainu Ga'atzmi that Shefer is Mamshech. So Malchus Zechshin would be like Mamala Kalalman, Zechshin is Sevev Kalalman. And Shefer is Etzem. Shabbos is Mamshech, the Etzem. But we Mamshech on Shabbos through the Psukim. Okay. And finally, has anyone come up with an acronym 
for the new year, Tovshin Pei Dalad. So we know there were a number of years where the Rebbe himself stated acronyms. I remember it was already, uh, the first time I believe was B.S. Mashiach, Teishnas, Tovshin Membeis was Teishnas, B.S. Mashiach. Then we had Teishnas, Geulas Mashiach, Teishnas, Divri Mashiach, Melech HaMashiach, Memhei, Mashiach Vadai, and so on. The Rebbe went through, Teishnas, you go through, Tismach was Tismach, but there was also um, uh, in the year Tovshin Nun, Teishnas, Nisim Teishnas, Neflois Adeno Teishnas, Neflois Bakoil. These were the Rebbe himself stated. So I, knowing that, I hesitate coming and speculating on, uh, on an acronym. If Eden come up with something that's nice, by all means. So I'm not going to speculate. I'd love to hear more from you if anybody wants to come up with something. I will say that the year of Nun and Nun Aleph, Nun Aleph and Nun Beis, I should say, Neflois Arenu, Arenu Neflois, Nun Beis, Neflois Bakoil, the Rebbe did mention Neflois with Anun and Ploys. So it's logical to say that the word Ploys, pay. Plays, some called it last year, plays Gudelis, maybe plays Dugules, and Pedalid, that the word plays may sound, may resonate, uh, but what should be the Dalid, I can't really say, but I'd love to hear from you instead of my own speculation. Okay, so now we've covered Rosh Hashanah and some other related details. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to move from Rosh Hashanah, we go into the Aser Simei which begins with Rosh Hashanah. So we know the Aser Simei is, is uh, highlighted by the Pasuk, Dirshu Hashem b'imotzei karu, karu b'yesei karuv. Beseech God when he's to be found, and call to him when he's close. So of course the question is, God is always around. Eineid Movade, Malei kol He fills all of the world. Asa Shemayim v'sa'aretz animole. Les asar ponimune. There's no place devoid of him. So what means being motzei, kodav? So the answer is, of course God is everywhere, all the time. The question is our access. God sees us and is close to us, but do we feel that closeness? So Chassidus gives the example of Kirov HaMoyer El HaNitzutz. Now when it comes to these days, starting Rosh Hashanah, and the Sersi Meitshuva, the Moir, the source, think of it, the mother flame of the soul, gets closer to each individual soul and as you know, flames get closer, they start connecting to each other. That's why there's a tug. That's why the Arizal says, someone who doesn't cry, his soul is not complete. Because we cry due to that closeness. It's like the orbit of the soul is closest to its source. It's not physical, spiritually speaking. So Arizal has that additional power. That's why what a yochid, an individual, can accomplish all year, what a minion can accomplish all year, a yochid can accomplish in the Sarasimetruva, an individual. How much more so a minion in the Sarasimetruva? So it's essentially continuing the renewal message of Rosh Hashanah. What's your purpose? What's your ayeko? Where do you stand in that connection, what we call binyan hamalchus, building your dignity, building your purpose? And that leads us into Yom Kippur. So we go into Yom Kippur, let us go to the next. What is Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur again has many, many messages. But Yom Kippur is Yom HaKadosh, Achaz Bashana, Yechid Sheba Nefesh. That's why there are five prayers Yom Kippur. 
Every day we pray three times, Nefesh, Roch, Neshama, Shachis, Mincha, Maidiv. Shabbos and Yom Tov, we add Musaf, Chaya, a fourth prayer. And on Yom Kippur, Ni'ilah, the fifth prayer, Yechida. Achas, connecting that singularity, complete oneness, seamless oneness. And when did we reach that? We reached it, interestingly, after a transgression. When the Eden received the Teda, it was Matan Teda. Then they built the golden calf, 39 days later. As Moshe saw that, he broke the tablets, went back up on the mountain, spent 80 days, 40 days, was not successful, another 40 days from Rosh Chedesh El, and when did he return? Yom Kippur. With what? With forgiveness. Salachti Kidvarecha, as we shall say, right after Kol Nidre, on Yom Kippur night, I forgive him. That wasn't easy. It took him 80 days. Because they transgressed the, the gravest sin of all. Veda Zara. Idolatry. They built a golden calf. Complete betrayal of God. Shem Kippur tells us, never lost. It's the birth of hope. The birth of Slicha Mechila. Yem Hakipurim. Day of Atonement. Why? Because you're reaching Achas. Moshe, through his prayers, was able to reach to the Achas, the Etzim of the Eberstedt. The 13 attributes of compassion. And through that also we are able to reach through our, to our Yechidah Nefesh, especially in the Ila, especially the end of the Ila. We say, Shema Yisrael, Baruch Shem, and Hashem Hu Lekim, Havayu Lekim. When you're supposed to think of Mesiris Nefesh, as the Shalosh says, as is quoted in the Machzeh. Shem Kippur is birth of hope, of forgiveness. The ability to know that the accountability of Rosh Hashanah creates the trust. Hashem says, you're accountable? I can trust that. Trust is not built on perfection. That's what Moshe was saying. It's built on accountability. Accountability? You want a relationship with me? We can fix even that which was broken. Unbelievable lesson in life that there's no such thing as completely broken. There's no such thing as damaged goods. We always have the ability to knock on the door and get the door opened. Shem Kippur is that tremendous power. So someone asked the question, why does Yom Kippur come after Rosh Hashanah? Wouldn't it come before so we can enter the new year clean from sins instead of spending the first nine days of the year in sullied garments? But Chassidus explains, there's Tshuva Tata and Tshuva Ilah. We have a month of El to clean up the sullied garments. It's not like we just jump into Rosh Hashanah. Moshe Rabbeinu spent 80 days before he got Yom Kippur, before he got the second tablets and the Salach Tikkid There's plenty of work to be done till then. Right now we're still the last week of Elul. That's the work to be done. Tshuva clean up the dust. But then comes Tshuva Ilah. Tshuva Ilah, Achas, the Yechida, is not about cleaning up dust. It's not about getting rid of the garbage. It's now you have a clean slate. Now bring in the deepest part of the Ruach Toshev El the true meaning of tshuva. Return to the essence of who you really are. To do so, you, gotta, you can't bring in new furniture into a home and say, well, bring the essence, but you have dirt to clean up. Once you clean up, then you connect to Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur is perfect. You have the month of El, that tshuva you're cleaning up. Rosh Hashanah, the accountability renewal. You rebuild Malchus, your inner soul, the ten levels. Through that says, you made tshuva, then you come to Yom Kippur. You're ready to enter. Kol Nidre removes the last oaths and vows 
even those that weren't full, completely removed in, in Ataris Nadarim before Rosh Hashanah, which means all our bind, bounds, binds and all our inhibitions and all our limitations and everything that we have been, we have essentially connected with, you, un- you untie them all, that's called Nidre, you absolve them all, and now you enter into a new day, a newborn, wearing white, connecting to the essence and climbing the five steps from Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, Yechida, Ne'ilas, Kol Asha'orim. You can connect to the deepest of the deep and like literally start anew, which is the power of what Shuvah really is of Yom Kippur. Someone asked the question, why did the Rebbe stand on a chair during Napoleon's march? So yes, one of the highlights was when we saw the Rebbe stand on a chair. They danced Napoleon's march at the end of Ne'ilah, before blowing Shefer, middle of Kaddish, and we would do that dance. It was uh, something to behold. I can't answer that question. I don't know that I've ever explained why he stood in the chair. I always saw it as a, 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 a sign of victory after a full day of davening. You know, I just felt you saw the Rebbe glowing with the kittle, with the talus, and that's the, the movements. It was a victory. And victory, you don't make cheshbenis. You jump on a chair, and you just so chatchila riber. That was my, always my hergish, my feeling. But I think it probably has other meanings as well. It was a type of a demonstration of tremendous victory in the, without any hagabolis. So, so, so this person writes, can we say, is the song more effective than higher off the ground we are? <laughs> maybe. Maybe it was a, ma- of a manner of the song, a song is an aliyah for sure. And getting on a chair is also an aliyah, perhaps. I remember the year when the Rebbe stood in the chair and also he brought, all the kids came up. I think it was the year Tov Shalamid Vov, if I recall correctly. And all the children came up. It was a sight to behold as well. But the point being is, yeah, definitely an aliyah. And uh, what should I say? Some things we don't always have explanations for. But it was Napoleon's march, a march of victory, of Nitzachen, which really marked the Yom Kippur in the fullest sense of the word. Even though it's a serious day, a very serious day, but the Dan Notzach, Anon Netzachaya, we're victorious. And that's why we wear white. That's what the Torah says. Even Rosh Hashanah, we go in white because we're totally confident. We know God's personality that we will be victorious in this journey. So, of course, that takes us right into the next stage, which is what happens next? You start celebrating. So, Begila Barada, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the celebration is still somewhat somewhat muted because you're standing before the king you don't make somersaults you don't start dancing there's tremendous joy within Roshana's connection accountability Ayeko where are you where you stand and Yom Kippur's sanctity Yom Kippur's connection but when do you start dancing and you come out of the palace now you start the dancing so the four days between Roshana and Yom Kippur Yom Kippur and Asukas are considered days full of mitzvahs that's why we say Rishin but you start the counting after the Yom Kippur. Because the four days were so busy with the mitzvahs of Lulav and Sukkah and so on, that it's days that protect us. So it's that spirit. It's connected also. The four days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Then comes the celebration. And the celebration goes level by level by level. That's what Chassidus says, that the celebration of Sukkot is the simcha of the Kabbalist Luchishniyas. Yom Kippur was received quietly. It shouldn't be an Ayin Hoda like it was by Matan Teir. It was Kalim of Rakim. 
It was full of fireworks. It was a light and sound show. And it created a, a Yanika. Created the other side came and said, Oh, you're so celebrating. Yom Kippur, it's done very quietly. Chashoi, quiet. But that doesn't mean we're not celebrating. Come Sukkot, then comes that breakout of celebration. Is the Simcha of that's Ananaktedus, the cloud of the incense from Yom Kippur becomes the Schach of Sukkot. That's what Siddhis explains. And each day of Sukkot we grow, Tashayin Rabbah, and then ultimately Shmini Atzeres, and then Simchas Teira. A Simcha Lamayla Mekol Medidiv Akbola. And one that comes from a Minik. But a Simcha, much more dancing, as Siddhis explains. Why do we dance a Simchas Teira more than we do on Shavuos? When we receive the first Luchas, Matan Teira. Because this is a Simcha that comes after a break. Then we just still didn't know what the future holds. And then the Eden Taka built a golden calf. Now we know that what that was doesn't break us, doesn't kill us, doesn't break us, makes us stronger. Indestructibility, Simcha Steyr, represents the indestructibility of a Id. That even after a break, even after a Chet and infidelity and the betrayal of the highest level, we found deeper love. We found a deeper connection. That's why the joy is so tremendous. So, a few questions in general about holidays and then a little about sukkahs. And then, um, yeah, we're good. We're covering uh, ground here. Just squeezing four programs into one. Okay. So next question is about the holidays in general. How does Chassidus explain the spiritual energy of all the high holidays and why they all come together at the beginning of the year? Or the way this person wrote it, One minute. Instead of having their energy spread out more evenly throughout the year, they all come together, like we mentioned before from the Medrash. It's Malaya Meyadim, Muzba Bakel, this month. Filled with holidays. It's not spread out at all. Roshana, Sayyidim Echuva, Yom Kippur, Sukkis, days in between. The whole month we don't say Tachna for that reason. So Chesidus absolutely explains it. Chassidus says is the following. That being that's Tishrei, Reishis. Remember the word Reish. Reish means it includes not just, the, not, just, not just a day of the year, it's a day that encompasses all the power for the entire year. So it says the Yom Tevim, Yom, yom Tevim Klolim, like the Reish. So for Rosh Hashanah, we get Kabbalah sale through the entire year. Moidani Lefanecha. That's a mini Rosh Hashanah every day. For Yom Kippur, we get Gedusha for the entire year. Tshuva for the entire year. And from Sukkot, Simcha for the entire year. So this month has a Reish properties. It has a Reish, a, a, head, a mind and a head type of personality that's all encompassing. That's why it's all concentrated in one month. And from there, like the head, then it draws the energy to the rest of the body in this case, the rest of the days of the year. That's the general explanation, Aksidus explains it. So when we celebrate on Rosh Hashanah, for Rosh Hashanah, Kabbalah Seil, Malchus Shamayim, Kabbalah Samalchus, and Yom Kippur, Kedusha of Yom Kippur, the Tshuva of Yom Kippur, Kapora of Yom Kippur, and then the Simcha of, Suk- of Sukkis, it's not just for those days, it's from there we're going to draw to the rest of the year. <laughs> 
Next question. Is it called the high holidays because our prayers can travel higher than normal during those holidays? During these holidays? Well, the truth is it's called Yomim Neroyim, Roshani Yom Kippur, the days of awe. And then Yemei Simcha, the days of Simcha, is Sukkot. High holidays, I'm not sure what the Hebrew of that is. Yom Klolim, Yom Tevim. So in English you call it high holidays. I assume you could say it is a day that brings a certain height to us and elevates us. But I don't know what the Hebrew would be for that. And maybe I'm missing something, but maybe there is a word that I'm, that I'm not, that's, but if somebody has something to say on that, please, by all means. Okay. Um, so with that, is there a limit? And therefore our pra- prayers can travel higher than normal during these days. Well, we said before, with Dirsha Hashem B'Motzei, that's definitely the case, that our prayers don't go higher. But I don't know, again, the word high holiday, where that comes from. Is there a limit how far our prayers can travel through the spiritual worlds? Can our prayers reach the essence of God? The answer is absolutely. There is no limit. It's all up to us. There are blocks and impediments. There are challenges. But if we make an effort, we can break through any of them. One of the reasons we blow shayfar is that taka pierces through blockages. Through gvuras. Takas gvuras. Sweetening of the gvuras. The same thing with other holidays. They all have elements that break through, that pierce the heavens. And as we said, Yom Kippur, you go all the way up to Yechidah. Yechidah liyachdecha. That's one with Yachid. Mamish, the levels of etzah mamish. Itzumish shal The very essence of the day forgives. Okay. So that covers the holidays. Then there's a few questions about Sukkot. Let's do that. Why is Sukkot not the spring after Pesach. Because one of the reasons we eat the sukkah is because the sukkah says shafti, when the Eden left Mitzrayim, so they sat in sukkahs, the two opinions, whether it was the clouds of glory or actual huts. So it seemed to be when you eat sukkahs after Pesach. So there's the time in Gemara. Gemara says not to give the goyim an excusable. They say, oh, you sit in sukkahs in the spring season when it's easy, but not in the wintry season, the rain. So, however, that's the technical reason. So someone asked a question on that. Is it true that sukkah should really take place in the spring, but we postpone it until the rainy season because we are afraid that Goyim would, would say, have said that they're only eating in a sukkah because it's a nice day out. They're not doing it to observe the mitzvah. Since when do we care what they say? Why should their thoughts affect and change our schedules and calendars? Have the rabbis ever, have the rabbis ever proposed that we stop putting on film? Because the non-Jews might say we are only doing it for health reasons to regulate our blood pressure and not to observe the mitzvah. Okay, and many other questions. So that's why Yechsidah Sittaka explains it's deeper than that. Sukkot is not just about the sukkah. It's also coming after Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. And that which we accomplish on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur through, through tears and through tshuva, we accomplish Shemina Tzera Simchas through Simcha. And in general, as I said before, Sukkot is the Simcha of Yom Kippur. That's why it comes after the holiday. And remember, the Eden ate, ate in Sukkot throughout the 40 years in the wilderness, not just right when they left Mitzrayim. They had the Ananiya COVID and the huts and so on. So the technical reason could be regarding, because the Taina is that it should say it's not, it wasn't a, it's not a mitzvah kawa. It, just, it, it, was a, it was a price that they paid. 
But it's not because we're, we're counting what the non-Jews say, because they're making a point. That there's an Indian of eating in a sukkah when it's not that easy. Because it's a reliance on Hashem. That's the real point. That betochen. Leman das, like it says. In order you should know that I protected you. So it's a matter of betochen to trusting not your human constructs, your homes, but besukis teshvu. Shivas yom. Teshvu came to do just like it was a regular home. And yes, you're exposed to the elements, to the weather, to the rain, and so on. So we show, we say, no, we pay that price. We are ready to do that. We're ready to have that betochen. But together with the fact that it comes after Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is all part of when the season is, and that's why the schedule is then. Okay. Next question. Are those that sleep in a sukkah doing anything wrong? By disrespecting the sanctity of a sukkah, by doing mundane acts in the sukkah? No. The halacha says, that you should live in a sukkah like you live at home, including sleeping. Obviously, we know by Chabad and others that they didn't do that. The Mitla Rebbe didn't do it. The Alta Rebbe didn't. The Mitla Rebbe said, how could you sleep in Makifim de Bina? Now the technical reason was because they lived in countries where it was winter and mitzvah, when you're in pain, you don't have to be in a sukkah. And there were other issues, tzniyas issues and other factors. It wasn't so simple in later days, in later generations, to just live in a sukkah as you live in your home. But we know there's a controversy around this because it sounds like Chabad and others who don't sleep in the sukkah, but about the halacha. But I wouldn't come and say that those that do sleep in the sukkah, they're doing something, God forbid, wrong. Because even by us, we know that Rebbe's famous sikha with mitzayat, that you have pain over the fact that it's makif from the bina. Ah, you don't feel this makif from the bina? You should have pain over the fact that you don't feel it. You don't have pain over that? You should have pain over the fact that you don't have pain over the fact that you don't have pain. And as many times necessary till you feel it's not a place to sleep because the Mitla Rebbe said that. But those that don't feel it, or don't, that's not the reason, they're not necessarily, not a, not a Pashta, everyone has their uh, way of going about things. The halachic part of it, the Rebbe already addressed in the Sikh and Tov Shalam, it's printed already in Lukut HaSichas, if you need explanation. But to come and say, God forbid, that somebody sleeps in a sukkah is doing something, no, they're following a halacha, and we respect that completely. On the contrary, it's, it's a Chabad needs to explain. And we do explain. And you're talking about the daily Yisrael, the Alter Rebbe, Mitla Rebbe. We trust them. And if you look at all the Hedurim, you realize we're not, we're not avoiding the, the, the discomfort. There's deeper reasons. Varaya, Chabad actually is Mahadir more than anyone. That even if it's raining, you eat in the sukkah. Many a rain is enough to be mitzvah, and you're not have, you don't have to eat in the sukkah. Not trying to um, toot Chabad's horn here. I'm just trying to point out that it's not about finding an easy way out. That's not exactly the Chabad Hidurim are not based on finding an easy way out. Not Pesach, not Sukkot, not other Yom Tevim Okay. So then we'll conclude with one more thing regarding this Hakel. We're coming now at the end of Shnas Hakel. So next year, of course, is not a Shnas Hakel. So someone asks, if Hashem likes when we gather in large groups to do Tehidim Mitzvahs, why do we only go out of our way to do it in the Hakel year? Why can't we and don't we do it all the time regardless of what year it is? So like everything in Taylor, there is always the mitzvah to have a zoyer beit feit, the mitzvah that we're especially emphasized. Of course hakel is always a good thing. First of all, Moshe Rabbeinu was misakin, he decreed that we should have every Shabbos lahakel kehillus. 
to gather together, which is why we go to base Medish and we learn and we daven and so on. The very concept of having a Besakneses means gathering together. A minion, events that we do. Again, learning events. Tfilah events. Gmilas chasodim. Is we know there's a beautiful thing, an unbelievable zgula. cannot accomplish. So the maila, the quality of a hakel all the time is absolutely there. But then there's once, a, once every seven years, there's an extra emphasis that the melech has the mitzvah. Haklas anoshim noshim v'tav. And to read the Torah in order to instill even a deeper level of Yiddishamayim. And from that hakel, meant to be hamshachah through all the seven years. It's not just for that year. That year is the mitzvah. But then, just like anything, you could ask, if Zman Chedoseinu is so important to be out of our Matzorim V'gvulim and our limitations, why is it only seven, eight days a year? Because we don't say Chesal Siddur Pesach. We don't finish the Seder. We're Mamshich, the Chedos of Pesach through the year. We're Mamshich, the Simcha of joy of Sukkot through the year. We're Mamshich, the Kabbalah sale of Rosh Hashanah through the year. We're Mamshich, the Tshuva and the Kislich of the Kapora and the Kedusha of Yom Kippur throughout the entire year. But then there's a time when you like, in a sense, there's an emphasis of that, and we get like recharged, you can say. Every day we say, every day we're created anew. And yet Rosh Hashanah, we say, is the creation of the world, the creation of the human being. Okay. And I'll conclude with one follow-up, which really, honestly, I was thinking whether I should do it, but since I spoke about it last week, and I got a lot of responses, actually, it's a Shalom bias issue, nothing connected necessarily to the Yomim Naroim, but it's a follow-up. Why not? And Shalom Bayes is always a good thing, and especially as we go into Tishrei, maybe this is a lesson for some. Someone actually told me this week that the letter I wrote, read last week about the picture hanging and a husband and wife disagreeing actually caused them to go back to their spouse and apologize for something that they disagreed about. And so we never know what people are hearing. So let's look at this as a tribute to the concept of Shalom Bayes. And I should add that the Rabbeim would go in Erod Rosh Hashanah before the Yom Tif, to their Rebetzins and greet them for a new year. And the Rebbe explains because the Rebetzin is Malchus. Rosh Hashanah is Kabbalah Samalchus. And build Binyan Amalchus. So the best way to begin Rosh Hashanah is to go into your Rebetzin and, and bless her and thank her and just connect on that level. So perhaps that in that spirit, let me do this follow-up. So last week I read about a woman who wrote that her husband insists on putting up a picture near the Rebbe of James, of John Brown, a, uh, one of the abol- abol- abolitionists, one of the activists, anti-slavery activists. So I read that, and you can go back to last week's program at chassidusupply.com and look it up. But now I want to read a follow-up that came in the, the last few days. And that is, Dear Rabbi Jacobson, you read a letter on your show from my wife about me hanging a photo of an abolitionist folk hero, John Brown, in close proximity to a photo of the Rebbe. My wife left out two important details. I think I mentioned that, you know, I read a letter. I don't know all the details. It's always the case. You don't always hear it all. So I want to make that, I just want to emphasize that. She so says like this. Our dining room only has two walls and one of them has large windows. It wasn't my intention to equate John Brown with the Rebbe by hanging the photos nearby, but the one wall behind my chair is the only space available to hang any photos in the dining room. The other thing she left out is the reason. A few months ago, my 14-year-old son told a racist joke at the Shabbos table. 
in which he used the Yiddish word for black people, which unfortunately is often used in racist and, de- and a derogatory in a racist and derogatory way. I told him that he had to. Had, I told him that. <clears throat> excuse me. I told him that he had to make up for what he did by learning more about slavery and the era of racist Jim Crow laws in order to understand why it's wrong to tell these kind of jokes or use words that are very hurtful. I'm happy to say my son has responded well and understands that it's not appropriate to act bigoted or racist. But my son and I decided it's not good enough if only we act appropriately. We should also spread this message of love thy neighbor to our guests and hope that they are inspired to spread it too. And hopefully more people in the community will become more sensitive and stop using that derogatory word. I know my wife is supportive of what we are doing, but only objected to me hanging the photograph next to the photo next to the Rebbe's photo. I made a compromise with her and took the photo off the wall and put it on a chair next to my seat. And my plan is to hold it up in my hand and show it when I want to discuss how we can become better people by doing more to ensure that all our neighbors are treated fair and justly. Thank you, Anxiva So first of all, I thank you for that compromise. I think very appropriate respecting your wife's, not just your wife, I think also the Rebbe and just... I understand your sensitivity around this matter. Um, I just want to say, I know this because I've dealt with this many times. I've been, I've been accused myself. You know, I've been on radio and on TV and they've asked me, so what do you think about your black neighbors? I hear you don't communicate with them. You don't have dinner with them. I said, I also don't, I don't have dinner with my white non-Jewish friends. I'm kosher. And due to kosher laws. But I say hello and I'm very friendly and I love them. They're God's creatures, creations just as I am. I don't see any, any issue here. And I think much more. And then I actually, I was once on radio and a guy asked me that question. He was coming very hard on me. Like thinking, trying to turn me into a racist. And I told him, my neighbors all around me are black. And um, I said, what about you? Where do you live? And he, I saw he got uncomfortable. And I said, where do you live? And he found out he lives in a suburb, a white suburb. I say, you don't live among blacks. Why not? You know, it's very easy to talk. So my point is, I am not here to defend anybody. I'm not here to accuse anybody. I just know that many of us, including myself, have absolutely no racist feelings at all. You know, for, the Nazis were whites, and they were criminals. They murdered Jews. So it has nothing to do with the color of skin. You can be a white and be a, a, a murderer. You can be a black and be the most beautiful person. And you can be Jewish and, God forbid, do things that are bad as well. You know, a soul doesn't have a color. The expression that people use derogatory, some maybe mean it derogatory, not everyone means it that way. There was a time the word black was not used. There were words used that today I can't even say. You would see it as racist. So in a way, the Yiddish word is actually the word for black. What other word do you want to use? That's the word that, that, that people today find appropriate. There were other words that, were not, that, were not, that are not used today, that are considered a slur. So I think it's about the human being. So I respect your wish and your interest to make that drive that point home. I just hope, in balanced form, that you're sensitive to all forms of racism, including sometimes our own Jews are also being hurt by people. I've heard things from blacks and from whites about Jews that should be, should be condemned. So I just hope it's balanced. Because I, sometimes I find that these things, you know, people sometimes call me, why don't I march in a certain demonstration? So I said, you march... Did you march? It was a demonstration. I remember when all, all um, Black Lives Matter. So a Jewish lawyer that knows me is very... So I said, did you march when they attacked the synagogue in Pittsburgh? No, he didn't march. Here he chose to march. So I said, so, so, so you, you choose and pick. 
I commend you for your sensitivity, but be consistent, because if not, you start wondering, is there another agenda going on? Anyway, but going back, I'm glad that husband and wife have worked it out. You made your point. You continue to make your point. By all means, I hope you're successful. We should all learn to understand and respect to coming to Rosh Hashanah. God created every human being, B'Tselem Alakim, Chavi Vadim Shanivra B'Tselem, and discover and help everybody actualize the godliness within them, whether it's Jews through Jews, through mitzvahs, Tadyag mitzvahs, non-Jews through the Shev mitzvahs, B'Neach, and we should march into Rosh Hashanah, Taksiva v'chsima teva, l'shana teva m'suka, b'gash m'suka, b'ruchis, hatzlacha m'flaga, ashirus m'flaga, on all levels, all in the best of health, and above all, it should be a shnas gu'ula, v'yodah kalpol ke'ata pa'alta, ashnas when al-medinez be'ya omer, this is the Rosh Hashanah, is when the destiny of nations is determined, including the destiny of Gula Amitzvah Hashlema, when it will be Mola Ha'oretz Deus Hashem Kamayim Le'yom Echasim V'lo Yiyeisa Kol Ha'elam El Ladasas Hashem Bolvad. Should be a Mishnas Gula Ksivich Simutev and a good Gibench Dier. This has been my life. Chassidus applied. Neighbors should give us more than a year, but many years of healthy keiches to be able to continue this program into March with Mashiach, when this program will be even more important. A Molar's Deus Hashem. Ashnaz Geula, Ashnaz Atzlocha to everybody, a good Geben Shtir. As I said, the next few weeks is Yom Tif. Enjoy the Yom Tif, enjoy the New Year, and we will be together very shortly again in the next program, which is four weeks from now, in my life, Chassidus Applied. A good Geben Shtir, and a Freilichin Yor. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapplied.com slash donate.